Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Jay Heinrichs. He is the author of a wildly popular book called Thank You for Arguing. He also runs a very popular and uh, very funny sometimes uh, website called figureofspeech.com. And most recently, the author of Word Hero, a fiendishly clever guide to crafting the lines that get laughs, go viral, and live forever can be found at wordhero.org. So we're going to talk, I guess, today about words, aren't we, Jay? I hope so. That's all I've got (laughs) is words. So first off, I always like to do this with people. I mean, you know, who, who needs to be a word hero or why do we need to be a word hero? Well, the reason I called it word hero was, well, actually, the real reason I called it World Hero is that I was playing Guitar Hero with my nephew. <laughs> oh, that's By good. the way, I'm really bad at Guitar Hero. But, I, <laughs> but I, you know, it occurred to me as we were doing it, was, it, this was kind of a nice concept for a book. I've wanted to write for some time a book about certain techniques that allow you to choose words or organize them in a certain way that would be memorable. And I thought, well, you know, this is really about making you memorable. So, in other words... You know, to come up with lines that sort of define who you are and your place in the world, and that seemed kind of heroic to me. So this is this is a book. It's not just about crafting the lines that go viral, but also to make people remember you as the as the person who said that. Yeah, and so I mean, you could at 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 one point you could sort of say, well, this is just sort of a a language book uh, that that you know has a an air of of intellectualism to it you know but but i think that that um what we're what you're really saying or what i at least what i get from this is a very very practical business book isn't it i i think it is i mean why should words just be for word nerds you know i mean there are techniques that i that i call witcraft which are ways to you know make people laugh or pay attention uh there's sorts of things that make make people think you're clever but beyond that more important, I think, especially to the business reader, is it allows you to brand or label an issue, a product, um, a service of some kind, or a project that you're working on in such a way that it seems irresistible. Uh, and there are very specific techniques on how to do that. I mean, this is not just a list of techniques, by the way. It's, it's each technique I explain how to use you know, bit by bit, every, every one of them has a process, and you can choose the ones that work best for you or that you simply want to use. And and you can you, you need to practice them if you want to use them spontaneously. But if you're using yeah. them for, to prepare a presentation or uh, writing a memo, the book could serve as a reference. So as a business guide, I, I wrote it as, as a useful business guide. Yeah, and I and I think the game most of us are are involved in is is being memorable or getting our ideas um, conveyed something that maybe seem really complex conveyed in very simple terms so that people you know take the time to listen and so I think in that regard uh, certainly uh, it addresses a very very uh, essential you know marketing and business need um, one of the sort of I don't know we call this an uh, an element one of the key elements of the book uh, is this idea of of tropes yes so so tell us what those are. Yeah, there are, t- there are two different kinds of ways to use words for memorability. One is figures of speech, which has to do with the choice of words or the order you put them in. Then there's tropes. And the, the, the thing about tropes that's really interesting is that we, we know so little about them as, as an audience. 
that makes them that much more effective because you don't see the techniques coming at you. So a lot of very plain spoken language actually can be very tricky and very manipulative at the same time. And that's where we're in tropes territory. Now, we, we, the most famous trope we all know, and that's the metaphor. If I mm-hmm. say the moon is a balloon, we, you know I'm not lying. Right. You know, it's it's non-literal language, as a rhetorician would say. It's not literally true, but it's also not lying at the same time. And there are other, you know, tropes that are related to the metaphor. The analogy, you know, which mm-hmm. everybody's familiar with. The simile, the moon right. is like a balloon. Now, now there are a bunch of other kinds of tropes that are unpronounceable and certainly unspellable, like yeah. the metonymy and the synecdoche. And what I do is I I combine these major tropes into what I call the belonging trope, because the belonging trope takes a characteristic or an ingredient or a member of something, something that belongs to something, and makes it stand for the whole thing. So, for example, one very effective trope is uh, the the term shovel-ready. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more sexy to say that a, that a project is shovel ready than to say, you know, this project has all its paperwork signed off on and and all the bureaucratic approvals done. Right. You know, <laughs> right. shovel ready makes you picture something like a tool, something useful, and it makes you almost like you know want to get behind it. So it's a very persuasive kind of trope, and yet people wouldn't say that shovel-ready is all that poetic or anything, but it's a it's a trope, and I call it a belonging trope. A similar kind of trope is boots on the ground. You know, when you talk in terms of, of you know, being the, the Iraq invasion, you know, yeah. we'll have boots on the ground within two weeks, the general said. And, you know, in that sense, it's not, you know, we're going to have the quartermaster show up with a whole bunch of Quonset huts, and we're going to be bulldozing runways, <laughs> you know, bringing over a whole bunch of equipment, and by the way, there will be soldiers and they'll have guns. I mean, the boots on the ground makes you picture, you know, it's kind of a symbol in your head of what the whole thing stands for, and again, it makes it sound very sexy and compelling. And there are ways to use that. Uh, in fact, I... I consult with corporations in how to use this belonging trope to their own ends, to label uh, or brand particular issues or products or projects. And I think one of the, the, the key ingredients to this is to take something that, as you said, you know, has a logical process or you know, steps involved and turning it into something that is kind of um, emotional. Emotional and also connected to people's sense of self-identity. I mean, I I just did a project with the Pentagon military vaccinators, and they were trying to find a way to make smallpox inoculations more appealing to to military uh, members and their families. And, and, you know, it's, it's difficult because it involves a process called scarification. And we, I led them through a half-day process where we boil things down to the scar itself and realize that the scar can be sexy, can be very appealing. In fact, they're going to come up with a, a sort of social media campaign called Who's Your Scar For? Hmm. You know, my scars for my country, my scars for my family, you know, yeah. Yeah. my scar protects people. So it turns something negative into something that's really positive based on a soldier's self-identity, as someone who sacrifices for others, 
you know, who who is a very altruistic kind of person, and 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 one who's willing to bear some pain, and the scar then becomes a badge of honor. I, that's the kind of thing that I like to lead a, a companies through at the same time. This this idea of focusing down to a specific symbol based on this kind of trope. But also related to people's self identity, and and there are parts of word hero that deal with that. The the um, are you you're familiar with the don't mess with Texas? Um, oh, absolutely. Slogan I, I guess that would probably fit as well, right? I mean, it was they were basically it was a it was initially a don't litter campaign, but don't litter wasn't very sexy, and and when somebody came up with the idea of of kind of playing on. Texas is, you know, sort of long-standing feeling that they're a separate country, um, and and kind of turned that around. It, it all of a sudden made "Don't Litter" sexy, but then of course it turned into something, you know, much bigger than that, even for for people in Texas and and outside of Texas. Right. Don't mess with Texas. I could, boy, I could spend all day talking about that one, and and and, but I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> what it does do is shows you the power of a pun, because you know people think of puns as something you just groan bad and yeah, right. you know it's, it's a bad joke but you know don't mess with texas is a pun it's yeah. it's like you know don't get in the way of texas don't don't you know don't disrespect texas but it's also don't litter you know right. Right. So it shows you that kind of like double meaning that a pun can use a pun a great pun is like a sounding a chord where you can do two notes at once the other thing is that it becomes a kind of trope because it associates one thing with something else in people's heads. Yeah. So, you know, it used to be, you would think that not littering is not exactly a macho activity, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, keep throwing things away, a little plastic bag in your car is not exactly something you picture John Wayne doing in a movie. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, he's going to drive down the, the highway and uh, throw his beer bottle at the sign, right? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, and then shoot at it. But, the, but you know, it's funny that, that, that this... What what a great trope does is a, is it allows you to build associations in people's heads. Now, one thing that I do in Word Hero is I point I point out the three, and this is based on neurological research as well as centuries old rhetoric. Um, and and that is there are three memory keepers in the in the brain. One is pictures. So a symbol appeals to the you know gets filed under the pictures memory keeper in the brain. Then, then there are sounds, um, you know, which can be the sound of words. And mess with Texas rhymes, by the mm-hmm. way, and that gets mm-hmm. filed under the sounds memory keeper yeah. as well. Yeah. Then there are associations, and this this idea of sort of this macho, don't get in my way or I'll shoot you, you know, kind of um, connotation of the word mess, don't mess with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the idea of not littering. It associates the the one not littering with the other, this kind of macho behavior. And so all three memory keepers get triggered in that kind of expression, which makes it so memorable and successful. And I call I, I have a process that I call the spa treatment, just so you can remember it, which is sounds, pictures, and associations, mm-hmm. SPA. Right. And you can spot, by the way, if you really like an expression and you want to steal it or at least steal the technique for your own business – then what you do is you take it through the spot training. You figure out, okay, what what is it about this expression that's really working? Is it sounds? Is it pictures? Is it associations? Now, based on the tools I give you in the book, what tool was employed there? And you can sort of suss that out. It takes a while, but so does any kind of worthwhile business, right? 
yeah, and then you absolutely. and then you come up with your own that could be similar to that. Now, is that you, you talk about the Mad Lib um, protocol, which is a tool that that you talk about as using or or allows you to kind of access these uh, memory keepers? Is that would, would that come into play here, or is that a different? Yeah, the Mad Lib protocol is you know the Mad Libs game where where right. you fill in the blanks, you know, you fill in the noun, fill in the verb. Uh, that's a way to kind of openly steal an expression you really like. So, you know, don't don't blank with blank. It's not a bad idea. Or don't mess with blank if you really want right, to steal right. it. It's a way to do it. But I, but, but what I do is I encourage you to do another process I call unwriting, which is where, okay, if you were going to put it just plain, ordinary, boring language, how would you put it? You know, how would you put don't mess with Texas? Now let's look at the difference between your unwritten version, your boring version, and the and the interesting one. And that helps you kind of suss out what are the techniques used, what are the memory keepers that are tapped into. And then you put, then you can put together your little mad lid to try to come up with your own. In other words, you don't have to use all these techniques, but whatever appeals to you and whatever works for the occasion. I'm, I'm trying to come at this idea of coming mm-hmm. up with a memorable line mm-hmm. in as many directions as you can, which is a great business technique. Now, um, one of the things that I think uh, I, I think you actually come at it with a positive. There's certainly plenty of negative um, uh, about some of these cliches that you hear. I mean, my favorite, of course, is is to listen to a baseball player or football player interviewed after a game. You know, but right. uh, but 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 you're you're suggesting that actually you can sort of take advantage of cliches if you use them the right way. That's right. I mean, you can use a if you can use a cliche partly just to keep yourself from being bored by screwing it up. Yeah. So it depends on what you want to do with a cliche. If if you want to make fun of a cliche and therefore make fun of the person who said it, yeah. then that's one thing you can do. You can do it by one one way to do that is by taking it literally. Like mm-hmm. if if somebody says, um, you know, trying to get you up out of bed, the early bird catches the worm. Yeah. You know, you can you can take that literally and 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 register disgust at the idea of ever eating worms. Yeah. Like you know, if this is right. if this is the reason I'm getting out of bed, forget about it. You yeah. know, that's yeah. a, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to insert a word in the or, or I, I should keep going. If somebody says, you know, there's nothing new uh, under the sun, you know, you can just sort of mess with that. And when when you think, you know, what's the sun got to do with anything new? Yeah. I mean, the sun isn't new. I mean, you can and you can drive a person crazy doing that. Take right, one of my one of my favorites, uh, or least favorites, right now that seems like uh, gets used. You know, every single interview you see somebody do at the end of the day. Yeah, it's the end of the day. <laughs> you know, it's you know, like at the end of the day, I go to bed. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I go to bed at the end of lunch, personally. <laughs> But it's, you can, you know, but that is a great, and and what it does is allows you to sound kind of witty right. without driving yourself crazy. The other thing you can do is insert a word. Mm-hmm. That, so you can say at the end of the business day, at the end of the weekend day, you know, yeah. um, and and what's amazing is if it sounds spontaneous, there only a little bit of wit is necessary to make people at least smile, yeah. or at least make it sound like you're not saying a cliche, yeah. and well, it's a great if- kind of. Well, I was just yeah, going to say, particularly, particularly if 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 you if they're expecting one thing and you do something else with it, I think that's that's the part that really sort of makes the impact. 
Yeah, I mean, I can say at the end of the day, that is my writing day, which ends at 10 a.m. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> right. that's the sort of... And, I, and one thing that, that makes people smile or laugh is if um, they're expecting a certain ending and you right. give them a different ending. That's right. Um, and so it's like, remember the old expression of people who, who didn't like Lyndon Johnson when he was president? There was a uh, campaign slogan, let's get behind Lyndon. Uh, and there was a very popular sign that popped up all around the country. It said, let's get behind Lyndon and push. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's a great way to mess with a cliche. Yeah. Um, of course, you talked about your example of helping somebody define a whole campaign and simplify it. And certainly there are where you might name a product or a, or a company uh, using some of these techniques. But uh, in the sort of everyday use, a lot of business owners need to go out there and stand up in front of audiences and maybe not entertain them, but get their, their, I mean, that, that, that can be a good outcome, but, but, but mainly kind of get their point across in a way that's memorable. And you talk about a couple methods, my favorite being the pith method, <laughs> method, say that a bunch of times fast. Um, and I know so, you so, say that one wrong, and it sounds like a really bad method, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, so, so talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the ways that 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 you sort of help people find their kind of. You know, I think you even call it their orator type. Yeah, well, there are a couple of things going on here. First of all, in, in terms of the pith method, one thing that I really love about it is something that I developed over the years for my own work is that it allows you to focus your own thoughts. So it's not just a matter of coming yeah. up with clever words, but it's also a great sort of thinking technique. And it's based on something that a CEO of a publishing company I worked for some years ago told me. He said, I was running a group of magazines at the time. And he and we were going to take the magazines through market research and, and double their circulation from the newsstand. And he said, all right, you need to go through true confessions. What are these magazines really about? And, you know, I was thinking, oh, they're about empowerment and you know, great writing and all this stuff. And really what they were about were things like sex and abs, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and that was a way – I realized that I was really getting down to the piss of the matter, you know, like what's it really about? And that's one of the most important things when you're talking about uh, a project in business or uh, a service of some sort. Um, what's it really about? Like yep. you don't describe it in a sentence. Describe it in at most two things, you know, th three if you're really lazy. Um so, and once you do that, that allows you then to figure out what kind of devices that you can use to help, you know, sell this particular concept. But first, you boil things down. And we, when you're giving a talk, that's really important because research has shown that people can only absorb one thought every 10 minutes. So if your talk is for 20 minutes, those two things you boil things down to really can't become three or people won't remember it. So then when you, t you talked about the order type. Specifically, that's what I do is I, and in fact, you can go online to wordhero.org and just go ahead and do it, um, where you answer certain questions about your predilections. And it's based a lot on the Myers-Briggs kind of yeah. test, yeah. which which suggests specific tools to, to, to use for your personality or rather the personality you're trying to project to your audience. And it's a great way of, of, of figuring out how to deliver a speech that people will remember. Well, I tell you another thing uh, people should do, you know, regardless of your politics, um, study 
effective politicians uh, for speaking because you know every word they say is analyzed. First off, it's written you know by generally by 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 great writers. Uh, they 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 have to condense very complex things into very simple things. They use all these techniques like repetition. Uh, you know, I, I think Obama does a good job with it. Certainly, Reagan did a great job with it. I think Bill Clinton even did a great job with it. But but I think that that. Because they get so much scrutiny, I, I just find that that uh, that their speeches, I think, uh, can can really be good teachers. They can be. If you're speaking to a group and you want to get emotional, speaking kinds of rhythmic sentences and using repetition and some of those figure of speech tools that I offer yeah. in the book can be very effective. But but the problem is that a really eloquent speech is not necessarily the most persuasive. I mean, something yeah. more simple and direct. It was interesting that, you know, in the debates between um, George W. Bush and John Kerry way back when, uh, people who read those speeches said that Kerry won. People who watched the speeches, on, the, the debates, rather, I'm sorry, right, right, the debates right, right. on TV, said that, um, that Bush won. And, and Bush was the guy speaking, you know, sort of these plain-spoken, simple, shorter sentences. Kerry had these complex, highly logical sentences. And, you know, uh, uh, someone who was interested in eloquence would definitely say that Kerry was the more eloquent person, but Bush was the more persuasive. And, and by the way, that's something that, you know, it mystifies a lot of political scientists why uh, the Democrats often win elections but rarely win public arguments. Yeah. That in the issues, the Republicans, especially in the past several years, have tended to to win, you know, the overall debate to to brand issues and label them. And one reason is that the Democrats are interested in figures of speech and the patterns of words and eloquent language and Obama's latest soaring oratory, you know, yeah, yeah. whereas the Republicans are interested in tropes. And so they're busy branding and labeling almost the way good business marketers will do. Yeah. Um, and and so that you don't even know that that these are being very clever and manipulative. You just think of simple, plain spoken speech. And so so if you look at terms of like main streeters, that's yeah. a, that's a very complex kind of difficult trope that took some time to come up with, and it describes something that forms a picture in people's heads that can be very effective. Whereas, I mean, if if you could tell me the a, a full paragraph in Obama's last wonderful speech, I'll give you a hundred dollars. <laughs> right. You know, in other words, that stuff kind of isn't memorable. Yeah. Well, I think even uh, you could even point to the the Tea Party phenomenon as sort of a, a trope. The Tea Party is a great trope because um, it, what's kind of dumb about it from a rhetorical standpoint is that it actually is an acronym for taxed enough already, yeah. which kind of like, you know, here we had our founding fathers dressing up as Indians in order to win our freedom from the king. Yeah. And these guys are talking about taxed enough already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, so, but but the Tea Party idea that this idea that this is sort of against the big authority and we're right. willing to break the rules and all that kind of thing was was absolutely terrific. And that's the that's the trope part. Yeah, exactly. And that's and yeah. that, and I think that that's you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and again, this I don't want to spiral into a political <laughs> uh, conversation too much, but I think it's a great example of of taking stuff. Uh, maybe sometimes without regard for the facts <laughs> and boiling it down into something that is so memorable uh, that it, 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 you know, it allows you to win your debate or your side because it, it just, it's just so simple. 
Well, and if you have a, a particular symbol that's based on these tropes that I talk about in my book, and, and if it's related to people's sense of self-identity, then it, the facts just don't matter. Yeah, logic yeah, is yeah, out the window. Yeah. You know, and Aristotle, the philosopher who invented logic as we know it, uh, himself said that this idea of character, as he called it, we call it identity today, uh, is um, is the most effective tool, more effective than logic. And boy, isn't that proven out every day in both you know consumer marketing and politics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, we have run out of time. I'm talking with Jay Heinrichs in a new book out called Word Hero. Um, and it really is a tremendous uh, guide. It will give you so many tools uh, that uh, that you may not uh, you may not even get to uh, the, the the level of hero. But but uh, <laughs> if you if you start with the apprentice and novice and uh, and work your way up, uh, you will your your business and certainly your uh, effectiveness as a communicator will benefit. So, Jay, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, hopefully we'll. We'll see you out there uh, in Spirit Magazine uh, somewhere. It's a pleasure, John. Love your site. All right. Take care. So long. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.